All right, will you please stand and uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, read verses 4 to 9 as our Old Testament reading, and then our sermon text tonight will be from 1 Corinthians 15. Genesis 2. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing on his word. Our Father in heaven, um, as the rain comes down from heaven and waters the earth and makes it sprout and flourish, providing seed for the sower, bread for the eater, Lord, uh, so you said your word is it goes out from your mouth and it doesn't turn back void. It accomplishes everything you set it out to do. And we pray that would be the case tonight. As your word goes forth in this place, we ask that it would have that life-giving power to cause the seed to grow in our hearts and bear fruit for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 2, verses 4 to 9. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Amen. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, where we'll read verses 35 to 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is that time of year again uh, when the Simmons family is trying to make a little bit of progress over last year in our uh, gardening, quote-unquote. It's also time for some more gardening sermon illustrations, I suppose. We get those every year. Uh, But it's appropriate tonight because that's the kind of illustration Paul's using. Um, Every year, I seriously, I am struck by um, just how tiny some of the seeds are that we put into the ground, uh, say for like the lettuce, those are pretty small lettuce seeds. Some of the herbs are even smaller. You can, you can barely distinguish them from a little speck of dirt. Um, and as, as you look at one of those seeds, there's, there's not a lot there to suggest to you, unless you're an expert and you just know these things from experience. Uh, there's not much in the seed itself to suggest what the plant is going to look like when it starts to grow. In fact, there's not much just to look at the seed to suggest that it will grow at all, that it's something alive. If somebody handed you um, this tiny... Imagine, okay, imagine that you're an alien from another planet that doesn't have plants that grow from seeds. And you come to Earth and somebody hands you this little seed. And... What are you going to do with it? I don't think your first thought is going to be to put it in the ground and expect something green to come up a couple weeks later. And yet, year after year, that's what we do. The Lord has built into his creation this regular cycle of seed time and harvest where we do put these dry, shriveled, dead-looking little specks into the ground, and then after a time of waiting, what comes out of the ground is truly remarkable, and it's something beautiful, something alive. That imagery of a seed growing, I think, is important for understanding uh, this passage, which is really uh, one of the more difficult portions of 1 Corinthians 15, this chapter that's occupied from beginning to end with uh, the resurrection of Christ and the future resurrection of believers in Christ. Um, So it is a challenging one, but I hope that it'll be a little clearer to you tonight after the sermon than before. Um, So let's look at it in three parts this evening, which we're going to call first, Two Kinds of Bodies, verses 35 to 44a. Second will be Two Atoms, that's verses 44b to 47 And then finally, two images, verses 48 to 49. So two kinds of bodies, two atoms, and two images. And before we get into this, uh, I might as well just say at the outset, I owe a lot um, 
when it comes to my understanding of this particular passage to one of my teachers uh, named Richard, Richard Gaffin. And I'd commend to you his very insightful treatment of it in a very good book he wrote called Resurrection and Redemption. Um, but uh, with that just stated at the outset, um, let's dive right in. So first is going to be two kinds of bodies. In, uh, in this chapter as a whole, uh, one of the things Paul does is he anticipates a number of objections that various people might raise to the whole idea of, of people being raised from the dead and Christ being raised from the dead in particular. And in verse 35, um, he's addressing a hypothetical person who, who, who can't get their minds around how resurrection from death could be possible or, or even meaningful. What does it even mean for a body to be raised? After all, everybody knows that people's bodies decay after they die. And so what would it even mean for a body to be raised from the dead if that body has long since turned into plant food, quite literally? And, and in response, Paul's explanation here is that resurrection bodies are different in kind from the bodies that we walk around in right now. There, there's a difference, um, as it's been sometimes said, between resurrection, as Paul is describing, and mere uh, resuscitation. Um, resurrection is not merely the revival of some particular physical matter that had died. Uh, we shouldn't think of it anywhere close to being something like Frankenstein's monster, where he pieces together the body parts and he runs electricity through them and, and poof, the, that, that matter that was once dead is now reanimated. That's... That is not the Bible's concept of resurrection. It's not just the body dies and then comes to life again. On the other hand, though, there's another side to this. Paul is, is also keen to maintain, though, that the person who rises from the dead is the same person who died. It's not like a different person, a different entity. There's, there's a real organic connection, we could say, between the body that dies and the body that is raised, even though that body will have undergone a great change. Now, to illustrate this, Paul uses the image of a seed. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. In other words, what you put into the ground does not look like what comes up out of the ground. The living plant appears quite different and has many different characteristics compared with the dry, tiny, lifeless-looking seed that went into the earth. And yet, and yet, on the other hand, there's a real living connection, isn't there, between the seed and the plant. The plant came from that seed. They're the same organism. They're the same entity. They're not two different things, two different plants. No, it's, it's, the, same, it's the same thing. So Paul's point here is that there can be a dramatic difference 
in different stages of the life of a living thing, and yet it is still the same living thing. It's been transformed, yes, but hasn't been transformed into something else. All right, so the next step, expanding on this. Paul points then to the, the great diversity throughout creation, right, of, of many different kinds of creatures that God has made. He uses the term bodies here very broadly because some of these things are living, some of them are non-living. And those uh, different kinds of physical bodies, uh, quote-unquote, again, they're using that term body very broadly, these different kinds of physical bodies, um, uh, they, they differ very dramatically from one another in their outward characteristics. There's a great uh, Mark Twain quote that I like. It's about good writing, where he says that the difference between the almost right word and the right word is like the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. And I think that, that Paul is getting at something like that comparison when he says, for example, that there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. And then when he comes to verse 42, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. And when he says that, his point is that resurrection bodies are as much different from these bodies that we have now as a plant is from a seed. They're as different from these bodies as the sun is from the moon or as lightning is from the lightning bug. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. And so in other words, the, the, this body that, that we bear now This body is mortal and broken and weak. But resurrection bodies are none of those things. Resurrection bodies cannot die. They're glorious. They're strong. And we can see all of this exemplified in the first place in a foundational way in uh, the resurrection body of Christ, as uh, particularly as we learn about Jesus' resurrection body, in his resurrection appearances before he ascended into heaven. So uh, when Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, it's clear on the one hand that it's the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus. The same, um, there's this continuity between the body that died and the body that rose. Uh, so, for example, he shows his disciples the scars in his hand and in his, in his hands and in his side. Um, and, of course, for some of the disciples, it takes some time, like on the road to Emmaus. But by and large, his disciples recognize him when they see him. His, his appearance, his voice, signal this is the same Jesus that we knew before the cross. On the other hand, though, there's, it's very apparent that this is a very different kind of body that Jesus has after the resurrection. So to begin with, it, it apparently can pass through walls. And so they're huddling together in a locked room, and suddenly he appears in their midst. Uh, Romans 6 speaks of how Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus' resurrection body is immortal. It's no longer able to die. It's no longer subject to corruption or disease or injury or illness. All of that 
shrapnel of death that went flying out through creation after the fall. Christ's resurrection body is invulnerable to any of those things. And why is that? It was because he was raised imperishable, in glory, in power. That's what a resurrection body is like, Paul says. Most importantly, verse 44, Paul says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And Now that last phrase, spiritual body, is one of the hardest parts of this passage. Uh, but actually, I think it's the key to understanding the whole thing. You might ask, what in the world is a spiritual body? I thought bodies, the whole point of a body is that it's physical, right? That it's not spiritual. And that if, um, if something's a spirit, then by definition, it's not a body, right? Those are two different categories. So what can Paul possibly mean by a spiritual body? Well, here's the answer. When you see the word spiritual there, you should not be thinking in terms of the contrast between spiritual and physical. That's just not the contrast Paul has in mind here. The contrast is not spiritual versus physical. As you can see, it's spiritual versus natural. Spiritual versus natural. And you say, okay, that doesn't help me very much. Um, Well, here's what I hope will help. There's one little change we can make to what you see printed on the page, I think will make Paul's meaning become more apparent. Everywhere in verses 44 to 46 that you see the word spirit or spiritual, I'm convinced that we really ought to capitalize the letter S. And what do I mean by that? Well, I think that what Paul has in mind here is the Holy Spirit, not the spiritual aspect of who you are as a human being, body and soul, and so the spiritual side of you. No, no, no. He's talking about the spirit of the resurrection, the spirit of the age to come, the spirit of the risen Christ. See, Jesus' resurrection body was certainly not spiritual in the sense of non-physical. He makes that point very clearly and purposefully. Uh, For example, when he eats a piece of fish right there in front of his disciples, do you have anything to eat? He says, partly to demonstrate to them that this is a real body that he's been raised with. Or when he says, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And there the the, the S should be a little S, a spirit as in a ghost. He's trying to convince them, I'm not a ghost. It's really me, the physical body. No, Jesus' resurrection body was a spiritual body with a capital S. It was a spiritual body because it was a body imbued with the resurrection, new creation power of the Holy Spirit. So let's go on then and see how Paul next goes uh, back first to creation in Genesis, the first creation. Uh, to teach us something then about the new creation power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the second point listed earlier, two atoms, two atoms. At the end of verse 44, Paul makes a kind of cryptic statement. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. He seems to be saying there is that the existence of these bodies, the kinds of bodies we live in now, somehow implies another kind of body to come, another kind of body to look forward to in the future. And you might think, well, 
that's not immediately obvious to us. How do these bodies imply a future body or, or, or suggest to us that there's a better body to come? Well, to explain what he means by that, Paul goes back to Genesis. Back to Genesis. He says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Now, what you can't see in English, but it's pretty important, is that the word being there, living being, is very closely related to the word natural in verses 44 and 46, natural body. So hopefully you're following along here so you can see this in the text where you see the word natural. Um, if you're interested in the Greek words, the word natural is psukikon, and the word for being is psuche. So you can hear they're, they're this, uh, the noun and adjective form of the same word. Um, if that doesn't help you, if it feels like getting lost in the weeds, you can forget that. Just understand that living being and natural, it's, they're the same word family here. And uh, the reason that's important is um, a, a natural body then, a psuchicon body, is a body like Adam's body. A natural body is, is a body like the first Adam's body. And those are the kinds of bodies we have now. We have natural bodies. We have bodies like Adam's body. A body that is part of this creation. Uh, and by the way, this has nothing to do with the problem of sin. Sin has all kinds of impacts on this body. But of course, when Adam became a living being, that was before he sinned, obviously. This is the very beginning, before sin entered into the world. Still, you describe Adam's body as, as part of this creation. as a natural body. But you see, this creation, Paul argues is not the only creation that there's ever going to be. This creation is not the only creation there's ever going to be. Now, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? Um, so if we turned over a few pages, uh, we would find the well-known verse where Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creation. Uh, and I hope that some things from our Acts series will come back to you here uh, from the morning sermons, if you've been tracking with that series, you may remember what uh, the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah envisioned when they looked forward, when they looked forward to a future last days, new creation hope for Israel. When those last days came, when that new creation arrived, what was the Lord going to do for Israel? What was the Lord going to do for his people? He was going to pour out his spirit upon them, wasn't he? He's going to pour out his spirit. The last days, that age to come, that new creation time that's coming in the future for Israel, that is the age of the spirit as the prophets thought of it and prophesied about it. That new creation is the new creation of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the reasons why Pentecost was so significant. As you remember how I've been preaching this through, through Acts, the point of Pentecost was to uh, show the church and to show the world looking on. The last days are here. The days of the Spirit are here. That was the message. The new creation is now a present reality in the church as the Holy Spirit is poured out by the risen Christ. And so you see how resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, Holy Spirit and new creation, all these ideas go together in the prophet's expectation from the Old Testament times, and in the New Testament proclamation by the apostles of what's happening when the Holy Spirit's poured out at Pentecost. 
And once again, here in 1 Corinthians, then, all of those ideas come together here in Paul. The first man, Adam, became a living being, he says. But what did the last Adam become? What did, and by the last Adam, he's talking about Christ. What did Christ become in his resurrection? The last Adam, he says, became not a living being, but a life-giving spirit. And again, I would encourage you to capitalize the S in your minds there, not because Christ and the Holy Spirit somehow merged together, stopped being separate persons of the uh, distinct persons of the Trinity. No, what, what all Paul means here is that Adam received a body that was part of this creation, but Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, received a body that was part of the new creation, which is characterized by, that it's imbued with, that's filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so in his resurrection, he became life-giving spirit with a capital S in the sense that his human nature, his human body was supremely, fully empowered by the Holy Spirit because it was a new creation body. It was a different kind of body, a body of the age to come. And because Christ in particular, as he was raised from the dead, received the Holy Spirit in such a decisive and full way that he could then pour him out on the, pour, pour the Spirit out upon the church so that what the Spirit does in the church, Christ is doing in the church. What Christ does for the church, he does through his Spirit. Their actions are in harmony and sync with one another. The Holy Spirit is Christ's presence with us. Okay, well, let's go back to verse 44 then to back up to to tie some of these ideas together. What did Paul mean then when he said, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body? Well, what he's getting at there is that from the very beginning, this creation was not the end game of God's plan for mankind. That's what Paul means here. Even before Adam sinned, even before Adam sinned, there was built into this creation the hope of a future new creation. See, when Adam uh, was created, um, there was a sense in which he was not subject to death because he hadn't sinned. Sin's the consequence of death, right? But you think about the body Adam had, that body was able to die. It was able to die if he sinned. That's how God could tell him, in the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. It's because Adam had a mortal body. But then, you remember how in the Garden of Eden, when Adam placed him there, God put two trees, not just the the testing tree of knowledge of good and evil. God also put the tree of life there. That tree of life meant something. That tree of life held out to Adam a future hope. It held out to him the hope that if he remained devoted to God, that there was before him in the future a, a new kind of life, a life beyond even the possibility of death, a confirmed life with God. And of course, mankind never experienced that new life through Adam because he did sin. So he did not take that fork in the road that led to that confirmed uh, life. We can never, in fact, get to that new kind of life beyond the possibility of death um, through the first Adam. We can't because he failed. But you see, that's precisely why the second Adam came. That's why Christ came. Christ came, you know, often we stop with the atonement. We stop with the cross. 
We know that Jesus came to bear the penalty for our sins. But you see, that's not all Jesus came to do. He came not only to atone for our sin through his death. Jesus came so that after dying, he might three days later rise from the dead with a new creation body. And in doing so, in rising from the dead, what was Jesus doing? He was opening to all of his people the age to come. He was opening the age of the Spirit, the new creation, as he himself, as Christ himself, received what Paul calls here in 1 Corinthians 15 a spiritual body. That is, a holy spiritual body. The natural came first. That's this creation. The creation uh, with these decaying bodies of ours broken now by sin that that these are a part of. But after the natural, Paul says, after this creation comes the spiritual. After this creation comes the new creation. The new creation, by the way, that God had destined humanity for all along. The new creation that was symbolized Adam in that tree of life. The spiritual creation. The Holy Spiritual creation with a capital S. Including the spiritual bodies that we will enjoy in it. And you see, that's where Paul ends up then in verses 48 and 49. So the great hope of the resurrection of Jesus is not only that he now has this spiritual body. It's not just that Jesus is now beyond the possibility of death, that his body is now imperishable and glorious and powerful. Now you listen to this conclusion that Paul gives and this amazing hope that it sets before Christians, for us as well. When Paul says, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And that's our experience now, right? We have dusty bottom bodies, bodies like Adam's. And uh, when we die to dust, we will return as he did. But Paul goes on, as is the man of heaven. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And listen to this. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Hallelujah. That is the resurrection hope of a Christian. Do you see what he's saying there? Everybody descended from Adam has a body like Adam's. We bear Adam's image because we're sons and daughters of Adam. Uh, Genesis 5 talks about how Adam fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And so, yes, we're made in the image of God, but see, Genesis also speaks of this sense in which the children of Adam are in Adam's image as well. Adam, the man of dust. And so our bodies, like his, are also natural bodies. They are bodies that belong to this world, to this creation. And since this world happens to be full of sin... We also feel in these natural bodies the corruption and destruction that sin, in particular, wreaks on the world and on these bodies of ours. These are bodies that are subject to decay and they're ultimately subject to death. But what I want to impress on you tonight is that we will not spend eternity with these natural bodies. Now, the hope of the resurrection is not just that we get these bodies back one day after leaving them in the ground for a while. No, like a seed, Paul says, these natural bodies are going to be buried and seen no more. But in the resurrection, there's going to spring to life a new creation body, like and yet unlike this one. 
just as Christ's body was like and yet unlike his body that was crucified. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. It is on the basis of this sweeping big picture understanding of the whole history of God's plan for his people from the very beginning to the very end that Paul concludes this chapter with the much more familiar, much clearer, and much uh, and very rousing final lines of the chapter that we all know about when he speaks of death being swallowed up in victory and how God gives us that victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's on this same basis of everything we've just been talking about that Paul then concludes later in verse 58 with that very practical exhortation for us to persevere in the Christian life when he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And that's not just because you can look forward to your soul going to heaven when you die. Oh, that's a good thing. It's not even just because you can look forward to this body coming back to life. Maybe some of you would say, I, 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 don't, I don't want this body to come back to life once I'm done with it. I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of the weakness. I don't want this body back. How is the resurrection good news if it means having to deal with these natural bodies for eternity? The answer is what you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel of what is coming in the future. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. But it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. But it's raised a spiritual body. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has brought to life a new world of resurrection power that is going to make all of the hard things of this life fade away to nothing in comparison next to the eternal weight of glory in that holy spiritual new creation. And on a definite day that God has in his plan not long from now, be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we shall bear that image of the man of heaven. As a great hope and encouragement and comfort for the people of God in Christ. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this blessed hope of our resurrection because of the resurrection of Jesus. And we ask that you would fill our hearts with this hope. And in light of it, help us, Lord, to be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work that you've given us to do, knowing that in Christ our labor is not in vain. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.